Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 39. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are in the world. I truly hope you are having a fantastic week. It's another week, another dose of the Success IQ podcast, and we have got a great guest again from across the pond, Kareem Bechet. Now, Kareem helps companies become insanely efficient. His purpose at Living Orgs is to empower organizations towards a clear, agile structure and stronger purpose. He is an industry-leading consultant in the area of holacracy and building adaptive organizations. Kareem, it's lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's such a pleasure to be here. It's a a real tongue twister, holacracy, and I'm really intrigued (laughs) to find out more about that. So can you just tell us a little bit about your, your journey that's brought you to this point today? Absolutely. I would love to. So I'm actually an Egyptian national. I was born and raised in Cairo uh, and grew up there for the majority of my life. And uh, my first uh, foray into entrepreneurship was starting, um, uh, you know, a water distillation um, import and export company in Egypt uh, that I owned and ran for a couple of years before I moved to the States and actually did a master's of divinity. I thought I was going to become a priest. Um, And uh, that's where I got introduced to social psychology and group dynamics and interpersonal work. And then after I finished my MBA, all of these things kind of came together logically into the consulting work that I do, which is just the the humanness of business, how people get to get together to work, how do we clarify and strengthen our relationships to each other at the workplace, but also our relationship to our purpose. Um, yeah, so it's been it's been quite the, um, the privileged journey and I'm, I'm, I'm constantly, um, wake up in, in tremendous gratitude and amazement at where I actually ended up to be able to have a consulting business where I do everything that I care about at the same time. And whenever I learn anything new, whether that be holacracy or anything else, I get to just bring that to every organization that I work with. It's been it's been a real privilege. Yeah, fantastic. And can you tell me what holacracy is? Absolutely, I'd love to. So holacracy is, um, there are uh, uh, several kind of self-management systems. When I say self-management, it's basically alternatives to the technology of command and control hierarchy. You know, if you think about 99% of organizations in the world, whether that be a company or a government or anything, uh, almost all of them tend to organize using the command and control structure. They'll all have this pyramid, you know, org chart that we're all so, so familiar with to the extent that none of us would even ask if we're entering a, a new company, hey, do you organize using command and control or do you use something else? Yeah. Uh, but what we usually forget is that this is just a technology. Uh, it's a technology that was invented most likely by the Chinese military, nobody really knows, uh, for a very particular purpose. And we've just now used it, just carte blanche on everything that we do. So mm-hmm. holacracy is a system that, offers um, one of the first that I think are genuinely viable alternatives to the command and control structure. Um, And it uses a a plethora of different models to do so. Wow. Okay. Okay. And and when you go into a company, are you kind of like looking at them and re-educating them on the culture to, to bring this in? Or how does that work when you start bringing that into an organization? Thank you for asking. So basically, we approach it uh, in many different uh, on many different facets. The first aspect is the structure itself. We do this thing called organizing around the work, not around the people. 
mm. which is just uh, makes sense once you see it. And you, it's one of those things that is so simple and so powerful that you look back and you're like, oh, why haven't we always been doing this? So instead of basically saying this company has Jeff and Kareem and Anne and whomever else in these positions, these kind of arbitrary positions that each of us thinks we know what it means, but you mm. know, a CTO in five different organizations it's a completely different position. Instead, we say, what is the work that's actually being done? And we organize in something called roles. And we say, you know, roles, not souls. So okay. that there's a very clear relationship between every role and the other, and people can move freely in and out of roles based on the work that needs to happen. So we separate the structure from the people, and it becomes a lot more clear, um, a lot more liberated from like people and dynamics and politics, and also, uh, a lot more nuanced and uh, able to move iteratively, basically. That's why it's called living orgs. You can kind of um, mm. grow organically because roles can change a lot easier than you can hire, fire, or promote people. Yeah. So, so what you so is that in a in a in a layman's terms is what you don't do is you don't pigeonhole people. You pigeonhole the you're not you're not pigeonhole the people. Your career they they step into the roles as and when they need them. Is that exactly. right? They step in, right. Yeah, exactly. They step into the roles as and when they need them and then step out when the work doesn't need to happen anymore so that people move freely. And then roles can get created and removed a lot more with a lot more uh, freedom, a lot more specificity. Wow. And I suppose, does that, do you find that then that also reduces conflict because there, there isn't that, that you're stepping into my space? That's a great question, Jeff. So not only does it reduce it, it more importantly, it clarifies it and it makes mm. the conflict less subjective. So, you know, mm. traditionally in an organization, when you have conflict with someone, which, you know, just has to happen when human beings work together, we're kind of <laughs> built to disappoint each other in yeah. one way or another. So and when conflict happens in, a, in an organization where these um, where the relationships aren't very clear, what ends up happening then is a power struggle. You know, you will try to overpower me and I will try and resist to you. And then we end up having water cooler conversations with our quote unquote allies that then, um, you know, I side with them, you side. And then, you know, the typical office politics that everybody dislikes, but everybody participates in. Yeah. Instead, we say an adult relationship says we need to be really clear about what's expected of each other. No more implicit expectations. Everything has to be explicit. So mm -hmm. if I'm ever disappointed in you, Jeff, while we're working together, I need to ask myself, is there something that is explicitly expected between us? Or am I just kind of implicitly expecting Jeff to do something that he's not doing or vice versa? So instead, mm. it's on me then, if it's not explicit, to make it explicit. And once we're in agreement, it, we now have a, uh, a clear kind of crystal point on which to have conflict, healthy conflict that results not just in our relationship being better, but the organization moving forward. So and it I, harnesses the power of conflict in a positive way. Yeah, and I suppose it's by the sound of that, what you're also doing is, is you're helping members of that organization improve on their emotional intelligence as well, aren't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I give really intensive workshops on how to give and receive feedback, how to have healthy conflict. Um, I give a, a strong workshop about the superego or the inner critic, which is yeah. one of the, you know, the internal psychological structures that really keeps us from learning and from engaging openly with others. So yeah, we, I totally support um, everyone in the work so that with a system like Holacracy, it kind of, it's, it's has so much transparency that it, it brings all of the muck to the surface, so to speak. So you need then the skills and the tools to clear the muck so then the, the organization can move forward. Yeah, no, that's okay. Because I know when I when I started, when I left, if you want, working for someone and started on my own, one of, the, one of my rules is always I require feedback in order to grow. And there's an awful lot of people that found that really weird. Like, how did I do? And it's like, well, hang on, we don't normally do that. We normally, as you say, they normally do that behind your back. 
They don't. You don't normally have someone come up and go, "Okay, was how was it? Was it if it was bad? Let me know, and then I can develop." And a lot of people aren't used to that. Absolutely, absolutely. And and if you think about anywhere in our lives, Jeff, anything that you do well, you do because you have a quick feedback cycle. You were, you know, you were blessed with a, a good, healthy relationship with a partner or a teacher or anything in the world where it gives you a healthy feedback cycle. If you touch fire, it burns you very quickly. That's a healthy, very quick feedback cycle. Something, you know, like our health, for example, you know, people who can um, eat unhealthily or smoke for a long time um, and choose to do so, even though they know in deep in their heart, they know that it's unhealthy for them. The feedback cycle is long enough that they don't immediately see it that they kind of, it's harder to break the habit. So what yeah. we're trying to do is always shorten the feedback cycle so you're immediately getting feedback for any and all activity that you do. And like you said, without feedback, you cannot grow. No, that's brilliant. Okay, so in order for that, in order for those roles to take place, I guess there's also systems and structures you need to do in order to make the the organization itself be more productive. And Excellent. Yeah, you're guessing it really well, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it almost seems like uh, we planned this conversation. It does. <laughs> I'm like, thank you very much, Jeff, for that perfect question. Uh, yeah, so basically, absolutely. So once we have these roles, a second part that is really important of Holacracy is the tactical, disciplined tactical process. So Holacracy has a very disciplined way of thinking about what it calls tensions. And attention isn't necessarily something negative. It's just basically the difference between reality as you see it and what you would like reality to be. So this is the reason we do anything in work. It's just, oh, I see this data, I would like it to be different, or I see this opportunity, I think we should take it. So mm -hmm. you, we we get people very, it's almost like a meditative or a martial arts practice, Jeff. That's, that's part of what I love about Holacracy so much or how I approach it. It, you get a lot better personally at sensing what your tensions are and then finding how you want to resolve them and then asking for what you need and making the decisions. Mm -hmm. So we create an organization, hopefully, ideally, of responsible entrepreneurs that work yeah. together with very clear ideas and boundaries. And then meetings become insanely efficient. Meetings are facilitated by a facilitator and they go in a very disciplined, tactical way where we're not just talking about a subject at each other, which usually meetings are. Mm. Instead, you're moving through one tension, one, one item at a time. And I've been in one hour meetings where we've gone through 40 to 50 agenda items, just like all with next actions that are yeah. concretely logged and as agreements between people. So once you do that, you can't go back to a traditional meeting anymore. You'll pull your hair out. And I suppose is that also be because the there's the the tension isn't there because people are looking at roles rather than departmental sort of blocks exactly exactly so right. you're always asked okay. from your role with the, with the purpose being really clear and what you're responsible for being really clear what is the tension and then what do you need so you're just giving what uh, holacracy calls energizing the role you're giving that particular form of work energy for a certain amount of time resolving tensions from there and then moving on to another role as needed as the organization needs it so would I be would I be right in saying then that an entrepreneur or a solopreneur, however you want to call it, would naturally look at the holacracy model than the other ones because they wear many different hats or technically they're using different roles? Absolutely, exactly. I, I imagine, Jeff, if I asked you right now to think about the amount of roles you're playing, not just in your organization, but in your life, yeah. you would think up quickly of up to 20. Yeah. All I'm saying is, you're like you said, you're already doing that. You're already doing the context switching, you know, between Jeff the interviewer to Jeff the business manager to Jeff the salesperson to yeah. Jeff 
even Jeff, the the lover, the husband, the parent, whatever it is, yeah. like all the other roles that you play. Instead, I'm saying let's just make them explicit. Let's just write them down. What does what do each of these roles want? What are they trying to do, and what are they responsible for? So you're absolutely right. Entrepreneurs and solopreneurs find this to be such not just a natural transition, but it's almost um, like finally, I finally all these things that I just captured in my head are on a system where I can see them and change them and adapt to them and improve them with my team. So it's so oh, this is fascinating. So okay, so there's there's a couple of things. So number one is is if you are, let's say, because a lot of a lot of my listeners are, you know, they work for themselves or they they have a very very small teams. Perhaps they're not employed by them, but they're sort of a um, outsourced team. Is yes. when you are looking at that. Is do you advise? Because I block my times out. So if, for example, a role. Um, let's say audio production would be set in a block of time that I would do on a Tuesday afternoon. So I know that that's what I'm supposed to do at that period of time and I don't do anything else. Is that a role or is that me just being, is that, is that the right way to do it? Would you say, or is that a different way to do Is there a different way to do it? That's more effective. Yeah, that's a great question. So Jeff, have you heard of uh, getting things done? GTD, David Allen's getting things done. Yeah, I've just actually downloaded it um, on Audible, so I've got <laughs> yeah. so I've got that to yeah. read. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. So basically, what you're talking about, Jeff, is that context that you use. So when mm. we work, we do these things called context switching between one thing and the other. A lot of people use projects. You know, oh, I'm going to work on the so and so project today, and then I'm going to work on the so and so project tomorrow. Yeah. The 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 problem is context switching is really expensive, and sometimes to mm. work on one project, the tasks you're you're doing are so disparate and all over the place, and also they're not all of the same priority. So you've set you know a time of this week to work on this project, mm. but you end up doing a lot of tasks that actually aren't urgent or important, but just because you're working on this project, and you do one important task and ten unimportant ones. You've also learned, Jeff, which is good for you, to to split your work using other contexts. For example, the roles, like you said. You're like, oh, this is my audio production or my interview role. I'm going to work on that on Tuesday afternoon. That's awesome. But what I actually teach my clients is to have a multitude of ways of, of changing context. And that's when we okay. use the power of a system like GTD or getting things done, mm-hmm. where you contextualize your work not just by projects and roles, which is a great way to do it, but also by where you're going to do the work. So on my computer, on my phone, um, at home, this is an easy task. This is a focused task, uh-huh. you know, all sorts of different contexts. So you can, for example, use your phone to be like, oh, I have a half hour where I'm stuck in the car in traffic and I need to make six phone calls. And mm-hmm. you just look at the phone. So instead of saying, I'm going to do my audio stuff, you say, I'm going to do all the phone calls. And you look mm-hmm. at the phone and you, you know, you call your mom for her birthday, you call your doctor, you call a couple of people for work. So you get options about how many different contexts that you can use, and you get to prioritize your work every day through a disciplined process called a GTD review. Every day you decide what are the top priority things that I'm going to get to do today. And then tomorrow you do that process again and again in the morning. It's almost like, a again, a meditative practice of prioritizing your work based on a multitude of contexts instead of just project or role. Yeah, it's been more mindful of what's going on, isn't it? So it's it's, it's, it's not having the story move you into a direction that you don't need to go in it's bringing your attention to the main core objectives for whatever that is absolutely jeff you said it you know like i, I love that dodge or the or the saying of you know startups don't starve most startups don't don't starve they drown that yeah. is so true you know we get pulled in so many different directions yeah. there are a million things to do and we end up just wasting hours and hours on completely useless things 
that did or or things that are such low priority and then the important things we miss it's not because we're unintelligent or bad people it's just there's so much information it's very hard to filter especially for an entrepreneur or a solopreneur so one of the yeah. best things i've done is to learn how to organize my mind and my work in a way that i can always be in choice about what i'm doing oh i love that okay so so then when we start looking at the um the you know productivity and efficiency and that sort of thing is do you do you mix between sort of what I would say old fashioned or well, certainly what my kids would say old fashioned pen and paper kind of like systems to technology based systems which ones do you prefer uh, I strongly prefer technology technology okay. based systems. I mean, okay. yeah, I use a, a project management tool called Asana. Some people call it Asana, yep. Yep. where you just capture all the work and then you can coordinate that with your team and you capture all the ideas and the roles and the responsibilities. So it's all in one place, you know, backed up on the cloud, shareable with everyone, highly transparent and really usable. Yeah, I've I've recently started using that to coach my clients. It's it's an amazing accountability tool. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. So, so with, with that is when you have, when you have done this is how, how long do you feel that that process will take? Does it depend on the size? I suppose it, does it depend on the size of the company, how open the um, company is, or I suppose how open the departments are as well, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a great question. I wouldn't say it. Uh, I would say whether or not I take the contract is dependent on how open the the company is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen uh, an implementation slow down because people weren't open, but okay. definitely the size matters uh, in terms of how long it would take. Uh, my average client is you know fifty to one hundred uh, person size company. They mm-hmm. take about three to four months for an implementation. Right now, I'm working with an over five hundred person company, and uh, they're taking almost eight months for a full implementation. Wow. Hi, it's Jeff here. So if you're looking for a community of like-minded people who are wanting to create and live an exceptional life, then why not jump over to our Facebook page? You can go to www.successinstigators.com or you can search for Success IQ and it will show up there. I look forward to seeing you there and joining in the community. Take care. Have an amazing day. Okay, welcome back. We are now on the second part of the show where I get an opportunity to put Kareem on the hot seat and I will ask him a set of questions that I ask every guest who appears on the show. So, Kareem, are you ready? I am. <laughs> okay, question number one. How much time a week do you spend on self-development? Um, I would say I spend um, at least 12 hours. Okay, brilliant. Excellent. And what is there a specific modality that you like do you read or do you prefer audio books or what is your preferred yeah i mean, i have a two-year-old and one on the way so reading is okay. out of the question for yeah. me at least i can't find it but audiobooks i found incredibly useful uh, and doable and also i really appreciate silent meditation and sitting mm. okay. um as a as a one of the most self-development uh, tool most important self-development tool i can think of yeah you'll find it's like that for the next 15 years my friend I find parents to be the most supportive and also the most. Absolutely. 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 Sleep deprivation, the works. It's just all part of the learning. (laughs) Okay. Question number two is what is your favorite personal development book and why? Uh, right now, I would say my 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 favorite personal development book is Training and Compassion uh, by Norman Fisher. Um, He uh, Norman Fisher is a Zen 
Buddhist teacher and philosopher, and and he just teaches. Uh, he walks us through these fifty uh, tenets of compassion, and you and how we can apply that each of them, not just to our life and to others, but also internally as a practice of compassion. How to face the entire world with compassion. It hasn't just changed my parenting or my relationship to myself and to my wife. It's it's changed my work entirely. I, I really appreciate this book. And have you, in order for you to get to where you are now, it, has there been a lot of change in yourself that you've had to do in order to be sort of this open and this this compassionate and stuff? Or is it have you always kind of like been that open to it? Uh, um, no, I would say I would say personal transformation is the thing that I that I think I owe myself and my clients the most. I have to eat okay. my own dog food. I have to practice what I preach. I have to watch my own limitations and grow through them and then be vulnerable and honest with my clients and with my family, with my friends about when I've hit those limitations and how I've grown through them. I find that that kind of vulnerable leadership is to, to be one of the most effective ways of working with people. They can smell BS very easily and they can yeah. smell when you're talking about something that you're not practicing yourself. People are very good at that. Yeah. It's, a, it's amazing how many people will try to teach what they actually don't follow. Exactly. exactly. It's so much easier to teach than to follow. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So question number three is what is your favorite app? My favorite app was definitely what I mentioned earlier, Asana, or some okay. call it Asana. I just yeah. live by it just to be able to pick up the phone anytime I have any idea or any concept or anything in my mind and just store it there so that I don't, it doesn't have to occupy my mind that I don't have to actually lose sight of what I'm doing. So if I'm hanging out with my son, I can stay focused and not have to either forget the idea or keep thinking about it. I just find it incredibly useful for organizing my mind and, and removing the kind of stress and pressure of all the information that's constantly popping up there. Yeah. And it seems to be a lot more, um, versatile than many many of the other sort of well task project management type softwares absolutely so versatile and able to you know like i said move things through context through project share with others comment quickly i just i mean i'm i'm on six different asana work with every single one of my clients and i yeah. just it's amazing I, I i send and receive maybe three emails a day now yeah. because all the all my all my important work is on asana no, that's brilliant. Okay, excellent. Okay, question number four is, what's your biggest business mistake and what did it teach you? Um, I would say my biggest business mistake by far was um, when I first started consulting, um, I, I started making more money than I thought was possible. Um, you know, it was just like I was just flooded with money and just, you know, it was a time of feast and of course, my naive and overly ambitious mind thought, oh, it's always going to be this way. And, you know, after the first year, I heavily invested the majority of my money, the money that I had saved and made into these really high risk ventures and tied up all of my money. And then all of a sudden, the client uh, pool just dried up. There was four to six months where barely, you know, one or two phone calls a month with clients, nothing's really catching um, and I started getting terrified and I had, I, I almost had to shut down my business because I didn't have enough savings to, to live through the time of, you know, the, the drought. So yeah. one of the most important things I learned as a solopreneur is definitely, uh, appreciate the, you know, one of the oldest lessons I think since, since humankind is, you know, famine feast. It, they're, yeah. they're both true. Neither will, neither will happen forever. Just be smart through both. Don't panic when it's the famine. Make sure that you saved. And also don't go crazy when it's the feast and think that it's going to go forever. And don't save. So now I always have 
six to eight months of my family's uh, expenditure saved mm. in a just in, a, in an account that I don't touch until yeah. the next the next famine comes along so that I can actually use that time to enjoy my children, enjoy my time off. It's a wonderful flow if we have the resources that I don't have to like panic or be stressed through it. So yeah, that's that's been a, an expensive and really important lesson for me. Yeah, I, I have been on that journey too. I have, I, yes, you get a little bit of a shock when that one happens. Yeah. <laughs> I think what my, my lesson was is that I record everything now, everything I've done, because I got, I got a little bit cocky in the sense of the same as this. It's kind of like the same as everything was going really good. And I kind of went, wow, this must be what it's, what it's like to be successful. And then I kind of like just went, okay. And then all of a sudden, things just massively changed and it was one of those things where it was like okay what do we what do we do in order to get that absolutely absolutely so number uh where are we now number five is what are your challenges in balancing life and work and how do you manage them Oh, thank you. That's a great question. I actually, um, I have to admit, one of the w most wonderful things about my work is that it's not, uh, I'm not very challenged in that. Um, mm. I primarily work remotely, which is just the best thing <laughs> ever. I don't commute. I, I, I generally travel or go see a client at the beginning of an implementation. Then mm. it's primarily remote meetings. You know, I have mm. my little walking treadmill desk that I do all my meetings from. I'm, I'm walking like 10 to 12 miles a day just working. And I get to spend a lot of my, and because I work very close to home and I have a, a home office, uh, I get to spend all the in-between times with my child or with my wife or at home. And it's just uh, that aspect of it has been really, really beautiful. I would say since you've asked about a challenge, like I said, the challenge is if I am noticing myself internally panicked about the financial well-being of my company, then I'll run myself aground and just you know keep myself busy because of this internal fear that it's not going to be enough. But if I if I save wisely and just relax and trust in the ebb and flow of things, I find that there's a ton of balance inherent already in my work because there's just like these really beautifully placed, just like slower times and times off. Right. Okay. So there's a couple of things. Is at the beginning of um of the interview, you talked about gratitude a couple of times, mm -hmm. and for me, that's obviously a, a, a big part of the of the life work balance thing as well. But at least as balanced as best we can do it. Um. How do you feel that gratitude has helped you to get to where you are today? Oh, thanks. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm definitely. You know, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we're we're very high on the kind of uh, neo spiritual culture here. So I, I definitely have a, a slight allergy to kind of you know gratitude practice or any of that kind of stuff. It, I'm a little bit allergic to it. But in all but in all truth, there's always wisdom behind these things, even if they yeah. come in kind of a, a saccharinish shell. Yeah. Um, and and there's definitely wisdom to just to being in uh, in gratitude for this incredible opportunity. When you are a solopreneur, it's it's off. You know, I think someone has said like solopreneurs and entrepreneurs are the only people who work 80 hours a week to avoid working 40 40 hours a week. But it's yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> because it's not just about that. It's really about just to have the privilege and the opportunity to really do what you're passionate about, to be your own boss, to make up your own rules. I know it's less secure. It's sometimes more stressful. But it's it's such a work of passion. It's such a yeah. it's such a privilege to be able to be your own boss and your own person and be out there in the world really offering. And then when it works, when the world says yes, I want what you've got, and you get that kind of response, there's no better feeling. So yeah, gratitude has been just to to 
to carry me and make and keep me humble at the times when things are going well and to also remind me that it's not the end of the world when things are not going well yeah it's all it's i love those those ones with the, about the entrepreneur because the other one is is you'll you'll never work for a more demanding boss than yourself absolutely uh, you know you, <laughs> yeah. you, you leave to go and work because you don't want to be bossed about and yet you go and work for a worse boss you know, it's worst, when you work for yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nope, nobody treats us <laughs> poorly. Yeah. No, absolutely. So the other thing is you talked about, which again, I often do productivity experiments just within my, but just to see how can I maximize my performance. And one was moving, sitting down to standing up, but a treadmill desk. How have you found that's worked for you? Is 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 that is that helping your productivity, or is it a way just to multitask? No, Jeff. I I, I mean one of the better decisions I've made. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's so outstanding. I don't understand why not every, why everybody should do it who can afford it. It's just, it's wonderful. I mean, I tell you, I end up walking 10 to 12 miles every day. It keeps me so much healthier. My back doesn't hurt because I can't actually stand up for that long either. I'm severely flat-footed. Yeah. So standing up for too long hurts my back anyway. So yeah. not only are you avoiding all the pitfalls of sitting down, yeah. I don't need coffee throughout the day. I stay pretty energized and alert and awake. And I'm just kind of, you know, my heart is pumping, my body's moving freely. And it definitely doesn't impact at all my productivity. I have video meetings while I'm walking. I type and write and read while I'm walking. As long as you keep it under um, two miles yeah. an hour, you're yeah. completely fine. Wow. That's amazing. I suppose it's keeping yourself fit for your young children as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And just like, I'm just in a better mood when I'm, I, I notice I just have this relationship with my own health that the day that I'm just like not eating well and lethargic and drinking too much coffee and like being yeah. too stagnant, I'm just a crappier version of myself. Yeah. yeah. I know you're walking now while we're doing this interview. Are you actually having no. a rest? All right. Okay. No, okay. Not, not this interview. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know how much the audio translated. <laughs> it's until you, your wife comes in and you just pushes the button to make it go faster exactly. and faster and faster. Yeah. <laughs> okay so question number six is what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out hmm. yeah i would say definitely is um definitely take the time to work internally and that's either even if you're a solopreneur definitely take the time at the end of every week to reflect on what went well and what didn't uh, reflect on your own the culture you're building even if it's just you uh, is it a culture of overwork is it a culture of judgment are you giving yourself feedback are you getting feedback from others mm -hmm. and then definitely as your team starts growing there's such a temptation to just be all about product and finance focus just like how much money are we making how's the product doing but if you don't establish the right culture just everything collapses inwardly so easily so it's always that piece of advice is don't ignore culture don't ignore the inner workings, the processes of the team. This can really make or break a, a an organization very easily. And I suppose this is when it's just you, you have the perfect opportunity to create that culture before it goes out of control. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of entrepreneurs or solopreneurs think like, yeah, when I get a team, I'll work on this and work on that. And then that yeah. becomes the thing where you're trying to practice something you're not living or preaching. Uh, you know, yeah. you preach something yeah. you're not practicing and that yeah, just doesn't yeah. work. No, no, absolutely. Okay. Question number seven is, is what is your definition of success? My own personal definition of success is to be able to um, 
make just enough money to live a life that makes sense to you. And that is entirely different for everyone. So I have no idea what that is for other people. I know the number in my own mind, living in the Bay Area in the United States, what that is for me to Mm. have that kind of financial freedom. Mm. And, um, and to, to really not necessarily, I don't, I don't like that as of like, Oh, you want to wake up like excited to go to work every single day. That's definitely Mm. not my experience. And I don't expect it to be. I think that's strange. If I if I want to do everything I'm doing every day, again, that's another thing parenting has taught me. Then mm. it's not really real life. <laughs> yeah. um, but but in my deepest heart of hearts, to really uh, to just really feel good about what I'm doing, feel like it's the best that I could do in terms of a contribution to the world. I am being used up well. Uh, my intelligence, my creativity, my abilities, my gifts are being used well. Um, yeah, and to not sacrifice your youth, your health. And definitely your relationships. That is, I cannot think of a better definition of success. No, that's lovely. That's brilliant. It's one of the reasons why I asked that question is because I love the different answers. And I think it's (laughs) it's the the more and more people understand that success is not a box where everyone gets exactly the same. I think we're we're too, we're too, um, we we drink too many people and I've been guilty of it. We drink the Kool-Aid of what everyone else says success is. And we go for that. And when I see so many people and I work with people that they've done that and they realize that that's not where they want it to be, it was a different direction completely. So the more and more we find out what people's definitions are, the more hopefully people will see, well, hang on, why can't I do it like that way as well? Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I love that you're doing that. It is so counter to the mainstream culture of just being bombarded constantly with what success looks like from our bodies to how much yeah. money we're making to the cars, all of these kinds of things. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So the final question is a life lesson question. So you get an opportunity to pick between numbers one and 50. And I have written down a coming, recovering from an illness and starting my own business. I wrote down 50 life lessons and you get a chance to pick a number between one and 50 and we will discuss that and see what comes up and you can disagree with it because it's a lesson. So you may have learned something else. So, Kareem, number 1 to 50. 49. 49. Living on the edge. Okay, <laughs> so so this is, this, this is an obvious one, but it amazes me how many people don't do it, and it's daily action. Um, it is really, you know, if we're ever wanting to move and to achieve whatever we want to achieve in life, we have to do something, you know, ideally on a day-to-day basis. I think that we, we're consumed by, you know, regardless of what we all think about the law of attraction and stuff, there are a group of people that think that they can sit on the backsides and, and manifest change without doing anything. And I just think there's an importance that we take daily action to move towards our goals. And I'm just wondering what you think. Um. Well, first of all, I definitely do not disagree with it. I mean, it would have been fun if I had, but but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, one day we'll it. get someone to yeah. disagree. Don't wait. Well, one day. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you the one thing it does bring up for me, though, Jeff, mm-hmm. which is the same as like the law of attractions. I mean, I actually I, I have a lot of personal issue with the law of attractions, both from mm-hmm. a just theological perspective and from my own experience. Okay. Um, but I, I I would say I love it. I definitely love it, and I think I, is there's something really empowering 
and beautiful, both about this idea of just, you know, if you want something, really go for it every day. It's in the daily grind. It's not even in the like mm. the lucky moment of like, you know, winning the lottery or like making the big idea that becomes Facebook or all that kind of crap that we're, that yeah. we're fed. Instead, it's in the daily grind, like really making it every day, whether that's again, your work, your, your relationship, changing your body, improving your health, whatever it is, it's, a, it's about the daily action. Mm. Um, and also I would say, the one thing to be well, that I like to be cautious of with generally these ideas mm. is uh, to not forget about um, privilege, like the privilege mm -hmm. that we're also given to be grateful for that and to yeah. understand that not everybody has the same thing. You know, I was thinking about um, what makes entrepreneurs successful because, you know, I live in, a, in the Bay Area, which is saturated with the idea of entrepreneurship and self-starting mm. and everybody and their mother has an idea for a business or for an app. Um, <laughs> I'm literally everybody and their mother. Um, and I, and I was thinking one of actually the most successful, I think I had read, I had read that, I read that somewhere is not a very kind of, uh, not a very trustworthy, uh, quoting, but I had read somewhere that one of the more indicative aspects of a correlations between successful entrepreneurs is actually how much privilege they had growing up. Not necessarily just how, how hard they worked. Mm. It, hard work is important to everything, but there's so much that goes into supporting us to do this, whether it's, you yeah. know, knowing that your family's got your back if things get really hard or, you know, um, knowing, you know, or just having that inner sense that's given to you by having a supportive family or growing mm. up in a relatively stable household that the world is not against you and that if you put yourself out there, things will happen for you. A lot of people don't grow up with that. So no. I so I definitely love that lesson with the kind of caveat of not making that become pressure for those who are genuinely dis, you know, debilitated yeah. in life yeah, by yeah. a real kind of um, lack of yes. privilege. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It, it, it has to be taken in the right in the right context. But I think is is it's you know, is I think in reality is is there's there's people that think uh, things are owed to them and they don't do the actions that perhaps they should be doing. And then there's people that really want to make a change and they they have to challenge that daily, that courage to deal with what limitations sometimes are in. I mean, obviously, if you when we talk about backgrounds and, and that sort of stuff, that's slightly different um, because there is maybe stuff that's being brought up that's limiting them in that way. But a lot of the stuff is, is, you know, it's dealing with those challenges. And the only way that we can do that is by taking that responsibility to do something about it. But as you say, yeah, the, the background may be slightly different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. Brilliant, Kareem. So you get the floor is yours for you to tell the listeners about how they can find out more about you. Oh, thank you. Um, I would say the easiest way is definitely to go to my website, uh, my website, livingorgs.com. Uh, also, if you're interested, I mean, that, that website has all sorts of information about what I do. It has blogs. It has a lot of, I have, I put out a lot of videos actually, both about holacracy and organizational development. Um, so you can, you know, just Google me, my name or living orgs or search on YouTube and you'll find a lot of videos. I would say that's the best way to kind of just get to know me a little bit, get to know my work and who knows, you know, maybe there's a chance we can work together. Absolutely. And and the what we'll do is we'll put all of that information on the um show notes and uh you know so people can can get in contact with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff. Kareem, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and I just want to wish you the greatest success. To you as well, my friend. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate the yeah, just the your energy and the show you're putting together and, and I can I can tell how much you care about your listeners, which is actually really infectious. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Thank you. Take care.
So first of all, just let me say a huge thank you for tuning in or subscribing to the show. I'm very grateful for that. If you have any suggestions of topics that you would like to to suggest that we have on the show, or perhaps you want to give me feedback of, uh, of what you think about the show, then you can send any emails to podcast at jeffnicholson.co.uk. I love hearing from you and your feedback really does help me make the show better. So if you want to find out more about me or how I can assist you to live the exceptional life, then you can visit www.jeffnicholson.co.uk or you can follow me on Twitter, look for GN Coach, or on all other social media sites, I am Jeff Nicholson UK. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you've also enjoyed the show, can I invite you to pop over to iTunes and give us a rate and review as it really does help make the podcast more visible to increase its audience. I look forward to speaking to you next week and I want to take this time to wish you the greatest success. Take care.